What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You're listening to Atlanta Baseball Talk, your weekly podcast for all things Atlanta Braves. Welcome to the show. Today is Sunday, October 6th, 2013, and my name is Steve. No ham tonight, but I am joined by Curtis. Kurt, how you feeling on the eve of Game 3? Uh, much better than I would if it was 0-2. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. This, I, I keep saying, oh, this is the game. This is the game they got to win. I, do, I still think that Game 1 was, was a huge game, uh, to say the least. Uh, it's been a while since the Braves have won a Game 1. Um, in fact, yeah, the last, seven straight, right? Yeah, the, the last series they actually won was the last Game 1 they won, which was back in 2001 against the Astros. So, um, obviously huge to win Game 2. Um, but this, this game... I was reading that this game three is historic. If you want to win a series tied one, one, you really got to win game three. So tonight's the night. Yeah. I mean, obviously less of a must win than Friday night was, but it would, I mean, we'd be in the driver's seat. It would just, yeah. And well, and I guess the only thing is if you win tonight, you, well, but, but you potentially get Kershaw on short rest. Um, and well, if well, you, well, that's the thing. That's why tonight is so important. You force their hand pitch Kershaw tomorrow in game four. And even if you lose, you get to come back to Atlanta for game five and not face Kershaw. Right. And if you, uh, I guess the best case scenario is, is as far as losing tonight is you get Ricky Nolasco uh, game four, who the Braves have pretty much owned. So um, that's the only positive, which you know potentially sets up a game five either way. But again, you would have to face Kershaw if in in that game five, um, should that scenario play out. Yeah, exactly. Avoiding Kershaw in game five is preferable to say the least. Not that Grinky was really handing out the uh, runs at a steady rate. Well, sure, but there's Kershaw and you know a couple other guys in the league, and then everybody else. Yeah, true. So. All right, before we get started, everybody, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. And to keep up with everything going on with the show and the website, follow us on Twitter at ATL Baseball Talk and on Facebook. So obviously, with our conversation we just had, we're recording this show early on Sunday evening before Game 3. So we're all about the first two games tonight. So, Kurt, let's take this chronologically um, and start with the NLDS roster being announced. And the big drama, and somewhat of a surprise to me anyway, was that Dan Ugla was left off the roster. So, Kurt, did you have any issue with going, you know, Elliot Johnson and no Ugla? Um, yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I don't, I don't want to make this seem like it. this is hindsight speaking 2020 because I've not been sold on Elliot Johnson at all. Um, I, he's not really that good um and i you know I don't, i'm not sure he has like a 260 batting average but it seems like that was all built on the first couple of games when he 
came over because it doesn't seem like he's gotten a hit for us in quite a while. So um, I know Ugla, I mean, obviously there's no, we don't have to rehash what Dan Ugla has done over the course of the year. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, and I know that Ugla's defense obviously is, is, is something that uh, is not uh, very reliable. So that plays against him when runs are at such a premium in the postseason. Um, but I, yeah, I guess I was a little surprised. I mean, we've, it's again, it's something we've talked about. Dan Ogo can take a walk and he can walk into one, you know, I mean, Elliot Johnson is not going to hit a mistake fastball, uh, 400 feet the way that Dan Ogo can. Um, so I guess there was some surprise that Ogo was left off, but not, I was not shocked. Yeah, I was surprised. Although when I look at it now, because, you know, Ham and I, in the, in the last show, we were talking about, well, Ugly will definitely be on. But, God, maybe they leave BJ off. And as I look back on that, it was kind of silly. Because to me, for one thing, and we talked about this a little bit, that with BJ, you can use him as a late-game defensive replacement. And you can use him as a pinch runner. Right. Neither things you would do with Ugla. And the other thing about BJ is, you know, you're one year into a five-year deal. You could not bench him and keep him off the NLDS roster. I mean, I think that you fracture the relationship so badly in year one by doing that that you've, you've given up on this investment. Um, so I think that was another reason why it couldn't be BJ, and it made more sense for Ugla. Uh, you know, the, even the Ugla can run into one. I mean, Ugla hadn't had a home run. I'm sorry, Ugla had one home run since July 25th. Sure. Um, you know, I, so uh, watching the, the TBS broadcast Thursday night, I know it was Cal. It may have been Ron Darling. I don't think it was Ernie. We're both like trashing the decision. Worst crew ever. God, well, Ron Darling is awful and has awful. been, you know, and Cal is fine. He's nothing good. He, you know, and I like Ernie, but yes, the oh, three yeah, of them yeah. together, like there's, there's no chemistry Ron drags it down. But so they were trashing the decision and saying stuff like Ugla's defense has improved. He's been working on his defense where there's no, you know, there's no factual basis for that. Saying that, you know, the Braves won 96 games and they led all but one game of the year. And Ugla is one of the guys that got you here. And frankly, I'd argue, yeah, well, I'd argue against that. I would argue that the Braves got there despite Ugla. And I know you said don't rehash it, but let me rehash a little. Sure. Since July 26th, okay, which was the day after he stopped hitting homers, his slash line was 108, 280, slugging 150. There was one homer and two doubles in that 150 plate appearances. Is that that good? Yeah, it's, it's excellent. Um and Elliot Johnson in 102 plate appearances was 261, 317, 359. So to me, it was like a no-brainer move. And, I, you know, the baseball guys all defending the veterans. And, I mean, I assume that's what Darling and, and Cal were, were doing. But it, it, to me, it was really the, the right move, as bad as Elliot Johnson has looked. And Elliot Johnson has looked awful in these playoffs. Including the error that was not called an error. Including the error that was not called an error, and including in game two, in the bottom of the first, when Hayward hit him on the cutoff, and there was a play at the plate. I think it was Mark Ellis coming around. And Elliot, you know, bobbled the ball. Right. You know, I mean, so, yeah. 
Um, all right. And, you know, I think the other surprises, if we can call them that, was no. Well, Bavaro. one more thing. One more thing. Oh, yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Not, sure. so, not to cut you off. No, right. Do you think this spells the end of Dan Ugla? Yes. I think this is the sort of nail in the coffin that, and maybe it can't play out, but I think the Braves expend a ton of energy looking for someone. <laughs> yes, add money. Exactly. Looking for someone to take him on next year and they pay Eight 11. or nine a year of his 13? You think 11? <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's going to take a lot. I think a $10 million is probably the, the basement for what they're going to have to pay some team to take Dan Ugla because his value, as those numbers you just recited, there is none. He right, has no- at least with low, you figure, I mean, you know, it reminds you of the low deal, right, where they unloaded him that sure. final year, paid 10 of the 15. But, and yeah. Lowe Lo got out to that hot start and actually won some games for the Indians before he became Derek Lowe again. But uh, I just don't see that Dan. And maybe the change of scenery gives you back Dan Ugo batting 220 or something. Yeah. But, yes, I would be shocked if Uglo was a Brave next year. Um, all right, so Vivaro. No Vivaro as a right-hander coming out of the pen. Essentially, they, um, you know, they put in David Hale. I mean, I guess you could say Luis Ayala maybe instead of Vivaro too. Um, I was a little surprised at Ayala. But, um, you know, I was shocked at that. No Mahalam, which I guess makes sense. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of baseball sense to carry five starters. The decision about Garcia had been made. Um, and you're not going to bring him up in a, in a mop-up role. You can use David Hale for that. Right. Um, I thought it was a good, you know... Except for Constanza, just because I hate him. Um, I think it was a pretty good roster that they put together. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know that there's... Um, I, the, you've just put in a position... I mean, clearly you would want better alternatives than Elliot Johnson being your starting second baseman going into the NLDS. I mean... Uh, right, and it leaves your backup as Yanish. I mean, it's right. pretty thin. The infield is thin. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I think you're right. Um, I, I, you can't argue for Mahalam as bad as he was down the stretch. Um, I, I don't know that he's a guy that can come out of the bullpen um, and be productive. Where you have you have to have faith that Hale can do that because of what you saw from him. Vivaro, you know, he hasn't pitched poorly, but um, he gave up runs in two of his last three outings. So yeah, I, I, I guess I was more surprised about Vivaro because they seemed to lean on him more in the last couple of weeks as they were trying to rest. Carpenter and, you know, just some of the other guys. But you're right. I mean, he wasn't, you know, lights out, of course. Right. So, yeah, I, 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 there's not a lot of argument uh, that can be had um, on, against or for any of those guys. Yeah, so it seems pretty, almost pretty mundane. Yeah, but a gutsy call on the Ugla thing. And, I, you know, Freddie talked about it as one of the hardest days he ever had as a manager. And I bet it was, but it was the right move and outside the box and not something Bobby would have done and all of that. Right. I mean, I know Frank's very much involved in that, but you know Bobby would have fought oh, that well, tooth and nail. And you oh read, U- read Uggla's comments that he felt like that was almost completely Frank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think just in his own mind, he's got to rationalize it that way because he's got that relationship with Freddie. Right. All right, Kurt, so let's move on to game one and let's break it down with uh, looking at the good and looking at the bad. By pitch. Um, 
<laughs> yes, <laughs> pitch by pitch. Um, so any good to throw out there? I've got a few, but you got anything? Um, I thought the bullpen, um, other than the run that Walden gave up, I guess we didn't really talk about Walden being on the postseason roster. Right, uh, right. That would seem like a last-minute decision. They clearly thought he looked good enough in those instructional league. Um, but, yeah, the bullpen bullpen pitched well because obviously Medlin wasn't able to go deep, deep into that game. And other than the, the than Walden, um, the bullpen pitched pretty well, holding, holding the runs to six. Um, but, yeah, not not a ton of positives for me other than that. Yeah, I mean, to add on that about the bullpen, Ayala with those two huge strikeouts in the fifth with men on second and third to keep it five to one. I mean, really, he pitched as well as any Brave pitched in Game 1. Now, he had that blunder, because it was a night of blunders, of not throwing out, you know, on that bunt, not throwing out the right. lead man at third. Right. Sort of crazy. Um, you know, Medlin looked amazing in the first inning, striking out the side and just looking like he had all of it. Um, Justin's 10-pitch at bat against Ver- against um, Kershaw which I thought was going to be, you know, a sign of things to come. I mean, and the Braves did work Kershaw those first few innings. Yeah, you know, what I mean, did, I mean he, he, had, he was at 77 pitches through four, which is pretty good, you know, yeah. but they didn't cash in on the few base runners they had. Well, and I will say about that Justin Upton at bat, and you're right that he did work along at bat, but he also missed a bunch of pitches. Um he had hittable pitches in that in that at bat that he fouled off um that were you know when you get a guy like Kershaw you're not going to get a lot of hittable pitches and when you get those hittable pitches you have to you have to do something with them and Justin was not able to do that and that kind of was a theme of the first four innings or so when they were driving up those pitch counts mm-hmm. what do they have four hits three hits you know so um hey, and McCann made a comment that he couldn't believe that after he saw that they were up almost 100 pitches at some point when Kershaw was and that they only had four hits off the guy. Um, and it's because they just were not, they were missing hittable pitches and, and theme. Yes. In one way that you're driving up his pitch count, but theme two in another way that uh, you're not able to do anything with it, with the strikes that he does throw you. Yeah. Yeah. Where he was having some location trouble in the first couple innings to your point, right. And then he just locked down and it was all over. Um, you know, Gaddis at the plate, we'll get to his defense and base running in a minute. Uh, Gaddis at the plate was one for two and had two walks and zero strikeouts in a game where the Braves struck out 15 times. Right. So really, he was he was one of the bright spots uh, of the offense. That night. And has been for both games. So yeah, far. absolutely. And Chris Johnson drove in a run. You know, good to see Chris Johnson continuing to hit. All right. So let's move on to the bad. A longer list, unfortunately. I mean, I'll start with Gaddis and left. That diving play was awful. <laughs> it, you know, and look, we've we've talked about this for weeks. So you were going to be trading his bat for his defense, and of course, the ball found him early in the game, and you know, he delivered negatively. Like was the fear. Well, and that's all set up by Hayward's um, miscue, trying to throw Twig out at home which he really has no shot to make that throw. Um, so he allows, um, what's his face, to get Ramirez? to second. Was it Uribe. He oh, was Uribe. one Uribe okay. to get to second. And then and Gata said, you know, if the guy's at first, he's not going to try and make that diving catch. He's going to get over in front of that ball because obviously um, 
you get a single there and your rebate just goes to third instead of um, being able to score. So, yeah, it was a lot of uh, not to not to totally pass the blame off of Gaddis because that was really quite awful. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just that was just it was a comedy of errors. Yeah. And and, and staying with Gaddis for a minute, the that um, getting doubled off first on what looked like a pretty routine fly ball. Right. To the center fielder. I mean, it was just awful. And, of course, base runners were at a premium. I mean, it was just a killer yeah. to get doubled off like that. Um, we mentioned Elliot Johnson's not error, error. Um, and to me, Kurt, they just looked like the young team, most of whom had never been in the playoffs before, and that the moment was too big for them. Agreed. And honestly, they looked like uh, a lot of the Braves postseason teams we've seen over the past few years. Uh, base running errors, for whatever reason, and they even made a comment about it on TBS, about the Braves seemingly having that being plagued in the postseason by base running mistakes. And it really is true. Um, and defensive lapses. I mean, those two, those two things have really let the Braves down. Again, you're in a situation where, where uh, runs are at a premium and base runners are at a premium, and you are providing the other team with in one regard and taking yourself out of in the other regard. So um, it's amazing. It was really kind of disheartening to watch game one, thinking thinking going in that, okay, let's change the script here. Let's do something different. And um, you really follow the exact same pattern that so many of these Braves teams. I mean, you know, we've talked about it briefly, but this is – this is a long stretch of games where they have not won game one and really, frankly, looked really bad in game ones. Um, and I would throw game one of, with the Cardinals last year into those game ones because that, to me, was a game one because that's pushing you forward to the next round of the postseason. So, well, and, and, you know, it was really brought home for me listening to some of the clubhouse um, interviews the next morning on that on the uh, you know, 680 show they do in the morning. And it was it was deja vu. From the um, from the wild card game, I'm listening to Medlin talking about, well, I just didn't have it. My command eluded me. I'm listening to Freddie talking about, yeah, we need to field the ball better and take care of the ball. It's like, what? Why are we living through this every time we we get ourselves to the playoffs? I mean, it goes back. Obviously, it goes back farther, but just in recent history. And 2010, of course, with Brooks Conrad and all that madness. It's right. like the script over and over again. Yeah. But then... It's, oh, no, you have something else? No, 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 no. All I right, mean, so, I was just... Yeah, go ahead. So then we get to game two. And let's start with the bad, because there's much less. And I want to start there, which was that the Braves still looked a little shaky in the first inning. We mentioned it a little earlier that Elliot Johnson bobble of the cutoff... Um, that might have gunned down Mark Ellis. Um, and as good as Minor was throughout the game, you know, he gave up hits and, uh, you know, to the, to the uh, first batters, the first few innings. And you could feel the air sort of coming out of the, the crowd those first few innings where, like, oh, there's a lot of Dodgers, you know, base runners. We're down already. Minor's given up hits. Like, the place was starting to kind of lose faith. But then, 
it all got much better. I, you know, so uh, obviously those base runners that Miner let let uh, on, but God, he pitched out of trouble in some beautiful ways. I mean, the two double plays he induced were just huge. I mean, those were game savers. Yeah, and all night long the double plays uh, really saved the Braves. Um, I, you know, to that, I, I, you kind of, you, I, it seems like we've been waiting a long time for a guy uh, to really have one of the, you know, a, a performance where it was, a, not to say it was dominant, but it was, it was exceptional. It stood out. Um, you know, we needed Medlin. We needed Medlin to pitch like he did against Cliff Lee last week right. or two weeks ago, and he, and he didn't. Do it. Yeah. Um, we've needed McCann to have a big hit, and he hasn't done it. We needed Justin Upton to hit a home run, and he hasn't done it. Um, and so, it, it, once again, it's kind of one of these scenarios where you're waiting for one of the Braves to have a big performance. And, and honestly, with the way Mike Miner looked uh, coming down the stretch, he was not at the top of my list of guys that was going to be um, providing that for us. And to his credit, he was. Yeah, and big strikeouts. I know that on the boards, especially after game one, we were talking about this is what happens when you don't have an ace. This is what happens when you don't have a guy who can turn it up a notch and get a big strikeout. And Miner got some big strikeouts Friday night. I mean, particularly in the sixth inning, right? Hanley Ramirez leads off with a double. And then he strikes out Gonzalez, Adrian Gonzalez. And then with two outs, um, men on first and third, he strikes out Juan Uribe to get out of the inning. I mean, they were enormous moments in the game, game-changing moments. Yep. And he got him with strikeouts, and it was just um, amazing. And that's what you got to do. I mean, that's what you got to do. In the, in, and I think, in, again, this is not hindsight. You can go back and listen to shows for as long as I've been on this, this podcast. And... He, I, I caught some criticism, and maybe even I caught some criticism from you, us going back and forth between the two of us on Twitter. But um, you you lack a number one on this team. Uh, there's a reason that John Smoltz was so much more successful in the postseason than Maddox and Glavin were, and it's because Smoltz could strike guys out when he needed to. And Glavin and Maddox are obviously guys pit, that pitch to contact. And um, pitch no different in the postseason than right. they do in the regular and season. And get squeezed, those, those, those strikes they get four inches outside uh, during the regular season. They don't get those calls um, during the postseason. And the Braves just don't have a guy like that. And you have to have a strikeout. You have to. And I I mean, I I understand that it's one of the toughest things in baseball is to find a number one. Um, And I'm not going to go into the Adam Wainwright thing, but um, (laughs) that's what they lack for. And that's, I think if you look back and look at these, look at these, the first game losses, I think you'll see how much they've lacked a number one starting pitcher that is a strikeout overpowering power pitcher. Um, so yeah, it it was so, and that that is the difference. You're talking about the strikeouts that Miner was able to get in those big situations, and that's what Kimbrel does. That's why he's so successful is because he can get those strikeouts. Um, so yeah, it was it was just a huge huge night. I mean, I, I, and I want to talk about the crowd for a second, too, because I was there Friday night. And I know I've said this a lot on the show, but I cannot remember the stadium being crazier and more into it with so many big moments. I mean, it was such a nail-biter. And with the, with the double plays that went down, with those big strikeouts, with Laird throwing out um, D. Gordon, I mean, the place was just bananas, and it was terrific. 
you know. Yeah, that's good. I was worried because you and I went to uh, Game Three against the Giants um, years ago when uh, the Brooks Conrad game, if yeah. you will, when Hinsky hit that huge home run for the Braves to get the lead, and then Brooks Conrad couldn't field uh, balls hit right to him, and the Braves ended up losing that game in uh, the ninth, I guess. Um, and that was an amazing crowd, but the Braves lost that game, and then I think it just took everything out of Atlanta. Um, and so the fans really didn't show up the next night. And I was worried with this game that the Braves losing game one, that that was going to transpire again, that the, the Braves fans were going to be disappointed and were, and think the same old Braves, which so many of us did, if you were on Twitter at all, um, you really wanted to throw yourself in front of a train because of the same old, same old, woe is me tweets out there from every Braves fan, including myself. So it's good that it's great. It's great that the Braves fans turned out and were really active. I, I, there's a guy I work with who's a who's a Dodgers fan, and uh, he went to Game One, and he was talking about that the crowd was really great. He was all nervous about going down there, and I was like, "Dude, it's really not like that. You're not going to run into anybody that's going to beat you into it. You're a not going to get knifed in that. the parking yeah. lot like leaving Dodgers Stadium, right?" And um, so he was talking about. I guess they were trying to pull a Johnny Cueto move. The Braves fans were calling out uh, Kershaw's name because apparently he was listening to something, and all the Dodgers people were like, "I listen to all the Dodgers fans." And he was like, "Well, there was no Dodgers fans around me. It was all Braves fans screaming, Kershaw, Kershaw." You know, they were trying to get in his head, which clearly did not work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so back to double plays, the Avilon double play. Yo. After Ayala didn't cover the bag, it was another moment where the crowd was like, oh, God, no. Yeah, here we go again. And uh, one, obviously, it was what was needed. But the degree of difficulty on it was pretty high. I mean, fielding it like he did and then having to turn around almost 360 degrees in order to make that throw. Uh, it was a thing of beauty. It was just well, fantastic. And the, yeah, and the funny thing was... Uh, Everybody in the dugout was yelling him to, for, and even on the field, Freeman was saying it too. They were all screaming for him to throw it home, um, to not even try for the double play, but to get the lead runner, who I guess was going on contact, um, and he, I guess, chose to ignore their their uh, advice and instead turned that amazing double play. And I don't know if it's uh, and they Carl Crawford turned the third fewest double plays or was involved in the third fewest double plays of any player in the National League. So add that to the mix. Um, it was really amazing. And I think he threw it pretty low to Simmons. So for him to be able to get, and you might not get it if Simmons doesn't have that cannon that he has. Oh, so, absolutely. But yeah. And it was great. You know, I, obviously I didn't see highlights until I got home that night and all the reactions in the dugout and on the field. Oh yeah. There was a shot from like the center field camera of, of Hayward and center, like pumping his fist and minor going crazy in the dugout. I mean, that's just the beautiful stuff of the postseason to see this team so fired up like that. It's just fantastic. Absolutely. Um, so Hayward's two-run single, obviously game-changing, unbelievably impressive for him to stand in there against a lefty after everything that happened with the broken jaw. I mean, what an enormous moment in the game, and it, it you know it shifted the it shifted the the series. And how 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 terrible of a managerial decision was that by Don Mattingly. Yeah, I, know, I, I don't I, get it. I know you go all numbers, all numbers, all numbers, but in a thousand years, would you want to walk Reed Johnson to get to, I mean, would you even want to take the bat out of Jose Constanza's hands? 
and flip that around so you can face Reed Johnson to then walk him to get to Hayward. I mean, and and the whole bringing in a reliever who's just warmed up and then making him throw four balls. Right. It's something else you don't do. I mean, it really was strange. Um, and thank God for it. And the last thing, so, uh, you know, Freddie bringing in Kimbrell for four-out save. I mean, that's just the best stuff. You know, that sort of postseason, pulling out all the stops, Kimbrell rose to the occasion. I mean, it was just a fantastic night. It really was. Uh, and I, to be somewhat of a downer, the Braves have also kind of followed this pattern where they've won game two, and they've beaten some great pitchers. Obviously, Grinky, they've beaten Matt Cain, they've beaten Clemens, they've beaten Roy Oswalt, they've beaten Zambrano back when he was worth the darn. And um, so, yeah. I guess I won't go any farther with that, but <laughs> it was a great win. I don't want to, I don't want to douse it at all, but uh, yeah, I, I'm tempered, if you will, going forward because we've kind of followed this script too. But it was a, it was a wonderful win, and it was very exciting. It was great to see, and it, you know, you just hope that this is one of those things where um, they they've relaxed. I mean, they talked about how they were nervous in that first game, and and you said they were they seemed a little tight at the beginning of game two. I did not get to visually watch game the beginning of game two um but uh you know maybe that just going through that and then even making it a tighter game when carpenter gives up that two-run homer that uh you're able to you get the win and you're able to get out of there with that great win maybe this is enabled them to uh kind of shake all that stuff off and say all right we're here we're what we got just as much of a chance as they do yeah I i remember turning to my son at some point it was probably the third or fourth thing and saying they, they've they've calmed down. They feel like they should be here now. And you could just see it. Like they just were starting to play baseball like they've played all year. All right, Kurt. So it's time for Shot in the Dark, our prediction for the coming week. First, let's look back at last week. So Hammy predicted that Hayward would hit a home run in game one. Not so much. So strange, by the way, we've not hit a home run in the NLDS yet. Yeah, I noticed that. You know, the home run hitness team in the National League has split a series and not hit one yet. I imagine that's going to change. Um, Night. So, Kurt, you predicted Medlin would beat Kershaw. Unfortunately, no there. I meant Frank Kershaw. <laughs> uh, he played poker against this guy named Frank <laughs> Kershaw later on that night, and he did and actually win. he destroyed win. him. Oh, Huge. absolutely. Um, I predicted that Simmons would have a walk-off in one of the first two games. Not really. Oh, but you know what? We've One thing we forgot to mention, actually, about the good stuff in um, in game two was Laird throwing out D. Gordon and Simmons' yeah, it is, tag. Well, it's funny because they, to me, and I, I, you know, I'm trying to look at this as an unbiased person, which is kind of tough, but he looked out. I mean, he looked out. Every replay I saw... Simmons let the ball go through to the body where he caught it, and he and he got him on the backside before the guy touched second base. And and for them to kind of make uh, that it was that much closer of a play, I mean, it was obviously a close play, but the call was right. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the L.A. fans are fired up that that uh, the TBS crew just accepted fact that that was a it was an out. But I mean. From every angle I saw it, he looked out to me. Yeah, you know, when I got home and I was watching the MLB Network coverage of it, and they were showing replays, I wasn't so convinced that he was out either, and they certainly weren't. Although Mitch Williams, of course, who hates the Braves and just his Phillies callers come out. Um, but he looked safe. 
However, later that night, um, there was a tweet from Brave's meme guy. You can go back in your timeline and check that out of a still shot that shows how far he uh, by, by he was out by you know a foot. It's a great, great shot of Simmons applying the tag, and his hand is a good twelve inches from the bag. And I think I think Dave O'Brien posted or tweeted another shot of that uh, a little bit later. But uh, everyone wants to see that shot. It's great. Go check out Braves Meme Guy or or Dob, and you'll see it. it it's it, I mean he was conclusively out. See? Yeah, exactly. All right. So Curtis, what do you got for? Uh, for these, you know, for a shot in the dark for the rest of the NLDS series. Uh, I love Freeman back in Southern California. He always plays well out there. Um, I think he's huge. Uh, he hits at least one homer. Uh, I'm going to go three RBI in the combined games, um, and he bats over 300. Very nice. All right, I'm going a little simpler there. I'm just going to say that McCann comes out of his funk and hits a home run. Uh, before the series is over. All right, so Kurt, let's get down to brass tacks here and what we really need to predict, which is what happens the rest of this series. Who wins and how does it play out? Oh. <laughs> People aren't going to like this? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, well, I, I tell you, I, I don't like the Braves tonight at all. Um, this guy has been very, very good going down the stretch. His numbers at home, his numbers at night uh, are really, really, really good. So I love Tehran, but Tehran is a guy who puts a lot of guys on base and then wiggles out of um, trouble yep. a lot. And so that makes me nervous, as shaky as our defense has been. Um, I just worry that it's not even him um, other than him putting, letting guys get on that. It, it's a bad play by somebody in the field that lets a couple of unearned runs in. And that ends up being the difference in this game. Um, so I think we lose tonight. We win game four and we lose again to Kershaw in game five. And I picked the Braves to win the world series. So everybody can kill me and tell me I hate the Braves and all that kind of stuff. I just, uh, I just don't like the, the Braves have got a pattern of winning game two and then losing these series, and it goes back a long way. They've only won one game two where they've actually ended up losing the series. Yeah, losing the series. Or sorry. Yeah, that's right. So it's just it kind of follows the same pattern, and I'm kind of frustrated with the way they started off this series. So that's where I'm going. It is weird that you do this show yet hate the Braves so much. It is. It is funny. <laughs> Life is funny sometimes. Yeah, but my dream podcast got canceled, so I have to do something with my time. And what's your what's your dream cop podcast? My Atlanta Dream. Oh, your Atlanta Dream podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're in the championship, baby. Come on. Well, that's going to be part two of this show, the Good. the dream segment. So your your dream can come true. Um, all right. So well I feel great about tonight. I really do. Uh, Ryu's been pitching great. I grant you all that. But like I said, there's Kershaw and there's Verlander and there's these, you know, out, out, you know, the top stratosphere guys and there's everyone else. We can beat this guy. Yeah. And his splits, I will say his splits against lefties are not good. Yeah. And, which plays into the power of our, the really the important pieces of our lineup. I'd love to see Justin Upton get going, but you know it's going to come to Freddie and 
Hayward and McCann. And so his 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 splits against lefties are, is is not good at all. Yeah, I think I think we win tonight six two. I'm not going to predict Whoa. scores all, all night long, but um, I predict I predict a, a, a you know a decisive victory tonight. I think we lose tomorrow against Kershaw and then win Wednesday night in Atlanta and move on. Beat Grinky twice. Yep. Well, I like it. You know, we're hey, good. You know what? I do like that. I'm sure you I, do. I know. I know deep down you're a good person, Kurt. I enjoy that scenario much better than I enjoy mine. <laughs> All right, folks. So, look, the plan is we're going to be back on Tuesday night, a special edition, to wrap things up where we are at that point. I won't say any more. I don't want to jinx anything. Um, and that's the show. So, please, make sure you have us in your RSS feeds or subscriptions on iTunes or Stitcher so that you don't miss any of our weekly shows. And, as always, check us out at AtlantaBaseballTalk.com for past shows, to check out our blogs, and to post in our comment section. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at ATL Baseball Talk and on Facebook. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and go Braves! Thanks for listening to Atlanta Baseball Talk, your weekly podcast for all things Atlanta Braves. To find new shows, to post in our forum, or to send a comment, please visit us at AtlantaBaseballTalk.com. Had to admit the problem, it's a hard thing to admit. Had to get on the program, it ain't an easy road when you quit. Had to make peace with my enemies, accept the power greater than my With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.